It's been five days since Governor Mike Pence signed Indiana's so-called Religious Freedom Restoration Act into law, and pushback continues to pour in from around the country. Indiana residents, celebrities, public officials, and business executives have voiced opposition to the measure, saying it permits discrimination. Advocates of the law maintain that it mirrors existing legislation in other states and at the federal level. At a press conference that just wrapped up a few minutes ago, Governor Mike Pence pledged to clarify the law's intent. That's a task the state's General Assembly will now have to tackle with only four weeks remaining in this year's legislative session. I'm Sarah Whitmire, the WFIU News Bureau Chief, and on today's special edition of Noon Edition, we'll speak with legal experts, policy analysts, and lawmakers about the ongoing controversy surrounding the legislation. We invite you to join the conversation as well after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to a special noon edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire with co-host Claire McInerney. Today we bring you a discussion about Indiana's so-called Religious Freedom Restoration Act, the newly enacted law that provides protection from state and local government from interfering in a person's religious beliefs. Critics of the law say it opens up the door to legal discrimination especially against the LGBTQ community. Governor Pence signed the bill into law last week, which prompted a flood of local and national backlash from celebrities, corporations, and politicians. Today, we'll discuss the law and its impact amid national attention. Joining us here in the studio, Deborah Whitus. She's an associate professor of law at the IU Mauer School of Law. Marjorie Hershey, a political science professor at Indiana University. We also have Democratic Representative Ed Delaney and Travis Weber, who is the director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council. It's an advocacy group focused on religious freedom. We also want to say we reached out to several Republicans in the State House, including the Speaker of the House, Brian Bosma, and the RIFRA authors and co-sponsors, as well as the Indiana State Republican Party and Governor Pence's office. Either our calls weren't returned or people declined to come on this program. You can join today's conversation by calling 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. We also have a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, or you can tweet at us at Noon Edition. So with all of that, as we just said, the governor just wrapped up a special press conference a few moments ago where he said he wanted to clarify some problems that have um, sort of been misinterpreted with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So we want to hear a little bit of that press conference to get the discussion going here. Let me say first and foremost, I was proud to sign the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. I believe religious liberty, as President Clinton said when he signed the federal law in 1993, I believe religious liberty is our first freedom. And it is vital uh, to millions of Americans who cherish faith, uh, as I and my family do. But it's also vital to the framework of freedom in our nation. And this legislation uh, was designed uh, to uh, ensure the vitality of religious liberty in the Hoosier state. I believe Hoosiers are entitled to the same protections that have been in place in our federal courts uh, for the last uh, 20 plus years and in the law in 30 other states. But clearly, clearly there's been misunderstanding uh, and confusion uh, and mischaracterization uh, of this law. Uh, And I come before you today to say how we're going to address that. We've been talking with uh, people across the state of Indiana, talking to business leaders, and talking to organizations around the country who have uh, spent time in Indiana and enjoyed the hospitality of the people of Indiana, uh, and we've been listening. Well, let me say, first and foremost, as I've said to each one of them, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, not about discrimination. As I said last week, 
had this law been about legalizing discrimination, I would have vetoed it. This law does not give anyone a license to discriminate. The Restoration Act in Indiana does not give anyone the right to deny services to anyone in this state. It is simply a balancing test used by our federal courts and jurisdictions across the country for more than two decades. Okay, and that was Governor Mike Pence speaking just a few minutes ago about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Deborah, I want to go straight to you coming out of that. If you can kind of explain what is in this law as it exists right now and tie that into what he's saying is the federal law that's been on the books since 1993. Okay, so what this law does is provide that if um, a person, or in this law specifically, it also provides a corporation, um, alleges that um, a government action or law substantially burdens that person's exercise of religion, the government has to prove that um, application of the law is in furtherance of a compelling government interest and that it's the least restrictive means of furthering that compelling government interest. So it is, in fact, a balancing test. Um, What's different from the federal law is that the federal law, um, it was surprising to many when the Supreme Court interpreted the federal law last year to cover a for-profit corporation. That was not what many people who, who supported the federal law back in 93 expected. It was really framed in terms of personal liberties, not corporate liberties at that time. And you're talking about the Hobby Lobby, right? In the Hobby Lobby decision. And then the other context is just different in that, um, you know, this is is being enacted now at a time where we've just legalized gay marriage and where there have been issues about businesses um, suggesting that they might want to refuse services to gay couples or other instances of discrimination. So the context is just very different, even though the language largely does track the federal law as it's been interpreted. And Representative Delaney, I know you proposed several amendments to this as it was working its way through the legislature, and now uh, Governor Mike Pence, just a few minutes ago, now calling on legislators to have something on his desk by the end of the week that would clarify the law. So if you could sort of give your perspective here and what you think might be done now. Well, I think the governor's changing his story. Uh, He's never asserted a real purpose for the law, and he's never explained why the people who surrounded him at the signing take the extreme views they take. Uh, apparently, he's the only person who was unaware that some right-wing Indiana people want to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. But anyway, that is a background. I had amendments that would have made this truly a balanced bill, that would have said there are other competing interests and specifically identified prohibition on discrimination as a compelling interest of the state of Indiana. Those were voted down by the Republican majorities, and we have to assume the governor agreed with that and understood that. So they were not interested in having a balanced bill. Uh, They were not interested in protecting our local ordinances. And now they've got themselves uh, in a PR fight where they've gravely injured this state. And uh, I hope that we can find a way to resolve it. Uh, I think we're going to have to do something a lot more dramatic than pass a bill saying the other bill doesn't mean what you think it meant. So I want to ask you going forward after um, later in that press conference, the governor did call on legislators to have something on his desk by the end of the week doing what you just said and maybe another bill (laughs) clarifying. I find that laughable. He's talking to the very people who voted the wrong way and he's not talking to the people who told him the dangers of this bill and who voted uniformly against it. So he's talking to some CEOs on the phone and talking to himself, his core problem is he's not part of the broad discussion in this country where people support uh, rights for all people, including those who have a different sexual orientation. He's just not part of that conversation, and he, he doesn't seem to be doing any better. Um, Travis Weber, I want to give you an opportunity to weigh in maybe on um, you know, what this law does protect or instances or examples maybe where um, a religious freedom law would be welcomed by some people. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as was just mentioned, the, um, the RIFRA balancing test was accurately described in, in why it's needed and why it's needed to bring Indiana law into line with where federal law has been for 20 years. And I must point out, where with no apparent um, pattern of the problems which are um, uh, a claim to, to be produced or results from Indiana's law now, um, I think there's just a lot of misinformation as to what this does. You know, I mean, the Connecticut governor 
now wants to ban state-funded travel in Indiana. Connecticut has a riffer on the books that's actually stronger than Indiana's. You know, and, and look, these per- permit a religious claim. They don't permit any discrimination. And, um, you know, I'll just point out that I think a lot of the, the shouting is just missing the exact issue. Permits claims by all religions in a variety of factual circumstances across political lines, across party lines. And yet, um, when it's applied to certain issues, when people have religious objections to sexuality, which is quite common, um, all of a sudden it's, it's quite controversial. I don't know why it should be like that. It's a matter, it just protects all religious claims equally. So I think one of the main criticisms is, yes, there's a lot of other states with a RIFRA law. Indiana's discrimination law doesn't cover um, sexual orientation, and I think that's where a lot of this pushback is coming from. So I don't know who wants to speak to this, but maybe what is different about our law or the language um, that is that could open things up to discrimination? Well, I think let, let me give my view. This is Ed Delaney. Let me give you my view. Uh, it, it, it does not on its face call for any discrimination of any sort. What it does do is provide a roadmap or a path to litigate in favor of discrimination. So it allows a corporation to assert that it has a religious belief and then to bring a suit against a customer or a customer against the store saying that person can or cannot be excluded. That's what it's set up to do. It then says there's a compelling interest in this corporation's religious belief and says nothing, nothing about any civil rights claims. And it does that in a state in which we don't have a statewide protection. And our legislature specifically rejected an amendment that said at least our local ordinances on sexual orientation would be protected. They refused to do that. And the governor today ducked that question. So that's the way it is. It's a roadmap. It is not in itself an act of discrimination. And Marjorie, I want to give you a chance to respond. And then, Deborah, hopefully you can speak to this corporation idea. I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind with respect to the governor's statements is that he has said specifically when President Clinton signed that RIFRA at the federal level, when former state legislator Barack Obama voted for it, this was the same law as was now passed in Indiana. That is false. I think it's important for public radio to be able to hold public officials accountable. This is a different law. This is a law that, as Deborah will point out, has more to do with the way the Supreme Court has interpreted that legislation in the past year, the current Supreme Court, that broadens it to include businesses and various other entities that don't necessarily involve government action, which was the wording of the original law. Now, this is not an opinion. Uh, You can take a look at the wording of both laws. They are printed on the Internet. It's really not difficult to find them. If the governor is making statements that these are the same law and this information is readily available, I think we have to ask whether either he doesn't know that these are different laws or whether he is mischaracterizing them. The governor said in his press conference a bit ago that in the 1993 law, it said that it did not apply to states that did not have their own statute. And is, is that part incorrect then, Deborah? Uh, the, the 1993 law um, wasn't explicit one way or the other on that. The Supreme Court, not in the Hobby Lobby decision that we've just been talking about from this past year, but shortly after the 1993 law was enacted in a case called City of Bernie, the Supreme Court held that the federal law would not apply to state or local laws. Um, And the first wave of state laws, so you know all this talk about how there's 20 or more other states that have it, many of them enacted it back then after that decision in a very different context um, where it was just sort of responding to the same issues that had been at stake in the 1993 law, not these new concerns with corporations asserting religious beliefs and not the new context of responding to gay marriage and businesses that might want to discriminate against gay couples. Today on Noon Edition, we're discussing the impacts of Indiana's new religious freedom law. Share your comments by participating in the live chat on WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or tweeting us at Noon Edition. You can also call into the program at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. And we do have um, one comment uh, or one caller on the line. John from Bloomington will take your question. 
Uh, you were right the first time. This is a brief comment. Um, in the interests of holding public officials accountable, uh, I would like for to see WFIU and the Hoosier Times emulate George Stephanopoulos in the following way to ask all of our area uh, legislators uh, whether they support amending the state civil rights code to include sexual orientation and gender identity and why or why not. Second, to ask our members of Congress if they support adding sexual orientation and gender identity to the Civil Rights Law Act, why or why not, and then to uh, distribute that information so everybody can uh, can see it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Deborah. what did you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to clarify my answer to that last question. Mm -hmm. So the 1993 law does explicitly say it would cover state laws, but then the Supreme Court held that Congress didn't have the power to do that, and that's why state laws started to be enacted addressing that. And Representative Delaney, um, with the the caller we just heard from there, we, d we did hear from Pence, and he was asked explicitly about whether he would support um, adding protections, adding a protected status to LGBTQ, and he said that was a separate issue for the legislature to take up from RIFRA. I'm wondering your thoughts on that. Well, of course, it's not a separate issue. <laughs> the very reason that we're having this debate is that there's a concern among some part of the population that people of a different sexual orientation are being respected and regarded and protected, and they don't like that. So that's what this whole conversation is about. So for him to say it's separate to me is silly. I mean, you got to remember, the whole argument is a little strange. Uh, we've had Republican governors for 10 years. I'm wondering where the attack on religious freedom was coming from that the governor apparently just discovered. There is no such attack. So, uh, and by the way, it's a question I will vote for, and it may be as early as this week, for uh, protection under our civil rights laws for people of different so sexual orientations. And I think that's time. I think the governor has backed us into a position where we need to express ourselves on that. His performance on ABC really, really wounded this state. We do not appear to be welcoming and uh, we do not appear to provide protection to people, and so that has to change. Travis, um, will you weigh in a little bit about the separate entities of the RIFRA law as well as our discrimination law, um, and if you, you or your organization agree with the governor's statement that they are separate issues? Well, the, yeah, they're, they're, of course they're separate issues. I mean, if, if they weren't, we would have seen um, uh, a discussion regarding sexual orientation law every time a state RIFRA was passed in the last 20 years. And at the time, the federal RIFRA was passed in 93. The federal RIFRA responded to the Supreme Court's decision in Smith, restoring First Amendment protections for all religions in all circumstances, as I mentioned. Some of those circumstances involve religious claims on sexuality. They can't be just diminished or distinguished from other religious claims in other circumstances and told they're not worth as much or they're easily dismissed. If so, we're all of a sudden we're distinguishing between religions, telling one religious faith it doesn't matter as much as others. It's not fair and right, and that's never what RIFRA was meant to accomplish. So they are separate issues. Um, you know, regarding the interplay between the issues, no, no one's looking to discriminate here. We're concerned that people with religious objections are protected. People like Baron L. Stutzman, a wedding vendor who was actually just fined recently for refusing to be part of the same-sex ceremony by decorating it with her flower, a uh, florist shop, and her and her skills as a flower decorator for weddings. It must be pointed out, and this is important to note, that she and others in these circumstances have happily served people, regardless of sexual orientation, for a long time. They've happily served gay people. And she even responded when, when, when dealing with the fact that she was sued uh, for not helping this man with his wedding. You know, when he, if he walked into her shop again, she says, I, I, would, I would give him a hug and ask him how his life is. That doesn't sound very hateful or discriminatory towards me, and it's not. She's not looking to discriminate. She's looking to have her religious beliefs honored and protected. And, um, you know, we just want to see people like her protected, right? We also want to see others protected. We support RIFRA, and RIFRA does not distinguish between religions. We think all religious faiths should have their claims protected under a heightened standard in the law, and that's all, all RIFRA does. Okay, Marjorie, can you add some context here? Um, you're, you're sort of shaking your head about uh, uh, but talk, Let's broaden it a bit to talk about some of these other states and their laws. 
Okay. I think that um, the standard response to the um, concerns expressed about RIFRA has been to say two things. Uh, first of all, nobody in their heart wants to be a bad person. I think most of us could probably agree with that. I think it's probably perfectly irrelevant to the discussion of this law. And secondly, that there is some sort of media conspiracy to portray Indiana as being intolerant. Um, I, I think these kinds of conspiracy theories come up with some frequency. Um, I'm just not aware of a whole lot of contact among media people to say, okay, let's, let's purposely mischaracterize this law. The only mischaracterization that I've seen so far has been to say that this is identical with the legislation as passed and signed in um, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act at the federal level and that of other states. That is a mischaracterization. We should probably okay, let me just respond to that. I would agree. It's not identical word for word. There are some slight changes, but um, it does enact the same standards, the same strict scrutiny standard that's been tried and tested in the courts. Um, you know, so I would agree with that. I, you know, it's not it's not accurate to say it's the exact same uh, law in terms of every uh, issue it addresses, but it does address and enact the same standard. Let's get some of our callers involved in the conversation here because our, our phone lines are full. Let's go to Terry here quickly from St. Joe. Uh, yes, uh, I wanted to call your panel to test for well, I see a lack of professionalism and mischaracterizing the federal law. The federal law, the Second Circuit, the Eighth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, and the D.C. Circuit have all held that the federal law does apply to suits between individual parties. The federal government does not have to be a party to the suit. So there's a split of decisions between the circuits on that particular matter. Uh, secondly, I just wanted to ask your panel, uh, before this law was passed, it's my understanding it would have been perfectly legal to discriminate against someone based on sexual orientation. There's no federal law that prohibits that, and there's no Indiana law that prohibits that. So the, whether you can discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation is separate from this. I mean, that's legal even before the law was passed. Thank you. Thank you, Terry, for your question. And Deborah, we'll, we'll toss that one to you. Uh, first, it, it is correct that there is a circuit split as to whether or not RIFRA claims can be brought in private actions. I don't actually think anybody on the panel had said anything one way or the other about that. So. Um, and then on the second point as to, it is true we don't have a statewide law that explicitly prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. There are several local ordinances that do. And the other thing is that um, increasingly states are interpreting, courts and administrative agencies are interpreting both federal and state laws that prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, which we do have, to also sometimes apply in the context of discrimination that might be against somebody who is gay but is also violating sex stereotypes, like not being masculine enough or choosing to marry someone of the same sex. So so that is a, so it could come into play in that context as well. We're going to go to Charlotte in Bloomington who has a question about a, a specific question about what the bill would allow. Charlotte? Yeah, my question is uh, how far does this extend? Does this mean that that uh, people or individuals or corporations have the right to deny certain certain supplies, let's say contraceptive supplies to people? on the basis of the uh, provider's orient, uh, religion. And, and, and how far does it extend in that direction? Other kinds of discrimination, of uh, preventing people from receiving services from people. How, what does that mean? Thank you. Great question. Uh, so it could apply, um, potentially, in that context. The Hobby Lobby decision that we've been talking about from last summer was in response to Hobby's Lobby's refusal to provide certain forms of contraception that were required by the Affordable Care Act. Um, in, in holding that Hobby Lobby could assert this claim under RIFRA, the, court, the Supreme Court assumed that providing contraception would be a, a compelling government interest, but um, surmised that there would be a less discriminatory means of making sure that women actually had access to those contraceptions. So 
it's a little bit unclear exactly what the boundaries of, of this new protection would be, but I think that's part of the reason why you see such concern, that it's not just LGBT issues, but it's a whole range of reproductive rights and other issues where religious beliefs may conflict with other people's uh, important interests as well. Representative Delaney, I do want to ask if, if, you, if you could provide any clarity there, too, with just the, Indiana's law now. Well, we don't have any statewide protection for people of a, depending on their sexual orientation. So uh, <clears throat> the way the law now is, uh, no protection for the local ordinances. That was refused by the General Assembly. Uh, no statewide protection. So basically, uh, people will be free to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation under our law. And the governor's constant proclamation that we don't discriminate has no legal basis. I mean, people want two things in life. They want acceptance, which I think the governor is very reluctantly giving, and they want legal protection where they need it, and he's totally refusing the latter. So that's the, that's the source of the debate and the source of the tension here. So we got another question online from Steve that I want to ask before the break. How many times has the legislature had to enact laws to explain and clarify laws they had just passed? I mean, is this something that we <laughs> see happening a lot? Or let's point to other times this has happened. This is it. I've, uh, this is my seventh year. We rarely do it. And every time we do it, it's a mistake. Why That's do you say not that? our job. Our job is to say what the rule is, say it clearly and then let the courts and uh, the uh, law enforcement people enforce it. Our job is not to give a lot of speeches in our bills. They're useless. Have, do you have any idea what the process is going to be like now moving forward in order to craft something? I mean, it, are we looking at the potential for a special session? or? No, I don't think there'll be a special session. The problem is, up to this point, the the Republicans are, are, in my view, battling among themselves between their, uh, their extremist faction and their more Main Street faction to figure out how to get out of the corner that they and the governor have put themselves in. But the, they're not asking the uh, Democrats or the Civil Liberties Union or the more establishment churches what they think. Uh, I'm waiting to see if they ever do ask. So far, what I've heard is not very hopeful. Okay. Um, I, I do want to say here before we go to a break that we did reach out to almost it felt like the entire Republican caucus at the state house asking them if they would be a part of today's discussion. We also sent an invitation to House Speaker Brian Bosma, the RIFRA authors, co-sponsors, as well as the Indiana State Republican Party and, of course, Pence's office. And they either didn't return our calls or did decline on to be on this program. Uh, we do need to take a break now. You can call in with your questions here as we pre present this special about RIFRA. 812-855-0811 or the toll-free number is 1-877-285-9348. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Welcome back to Noon Edition today. We're discussing the impacts of Indiana's new religious freedom law. You can share your comments by participating in the live chat on WFIU.org slash Noon Edition or tweeting at Noon Edition. You can also call into the program at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. 
Today's guests include Deborah Whitus, an associate professor of law at the IU Maurer School of Law, Democratic Representative Ed Delaney, Travis Weber, who is the director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council, and Marjorie Hershey, a political science professor at Indiana University. So Marjorie, uh, during the break, you were talking about some bigger political trends you wanted to talk about in relation to RIFRA. Will you kind of explain what you were bring it up? Yes, and I do so, if I might say, in response to an earlier caller in my professional capacity as a political scientist. Um, First of all, it's clear that we have now uh, a century-long high in the percentage of state legislatures and state governments that are controlled by a single party. We haven't had that kind of unified party control for a very, very long time. Two-thirds of the states are controlled by only one party in the sense that both houses of the state legislature and the governorship are held by that party. Now, given the fact that election results can change things pretty markedly in in a closely divided society like ours, we found that both Republican and Democratic state legislatures in those states where they have unified party control are doing their best to try to pass their party's wish list of legislation now before the 2016 election might uh, change that balance. And so this is one of a whole series of events over the country. Um, We've seen a whole lot of it in Kansas, for example, of trying to pass the party's wish list while it has the opportunity. We also have to take into account the context that we are just about to approach a presidential election and that uh, it certainly has been no secret to most people in Indianapolis that Governor Pence has higher aspirations and that um, the primary electorates on the Republican side in several of the early primary and caucus states have a large proportion of evangelical voters in them, and that as a consequence of that, there's a lot of competition for that support. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz, uh, former Governor Mike Huckabee, um, Governor Pence, his presidential aspirations will probably depend upon being able to capture that segment, which is quite large, of the Republican primary electorate. This is one way to do so. Um, And I think it's important to keep in mind, just as the context of the Supreme Court's interpretation, other circuit courts' interpretation of the legislation, uh, what's happening here. So Marjorie, then, in that case, do you think this could could potentially help him more than than hurt his political aspirations? I don't think he would have done it if he didn't think so. Uh, I think that clearly he intended to appeal to an evangelical constituency in Iowa, in South Carolina, in various other Republican primary states. Um, That works only so long as you don't carry it to the point where um, you are regarded as being a not very competent messenger of that message. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we saw such a rather marked attack on the media um, in the governor's press conference where he was saying, this is not this is not my doing, it's not my fault, but it's because everybody else is interpreting it, including all you folks who are asking me questions at this conference. And Governor Mike Pence did have that press conference about an hour and a half ago, and he did reiterate his support for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and said he was proud to sign it, and he stands by the law, but did say he didn't anticipate this kind of backlash, and now there's an image problem that we that we have to address here in Indiana, and of course calling on legislators to get something to him by the end of the week. So we're going to go to some callers. We have Brian in Columbia City. Brian, welcome to Noon Edition. Thank you. Um, uh, with the comments that were just made by your panelists, I, I couldn't agree more with what she said. I feel like Pence was trying to to appeal to that evangelical uh, base, but business people and people that want to do the right thing know that it was just wrong, and we all knew what direction that he was coming from. He was He's against or was against um, uh, civil unions. He was against gay marriage and in, in, in portraying that gays and lesbians almost that, that it's a choice. And until society, until Indiana accepts that people are born this way and that, that it is discrimination and that it is a right that, that people are not discriminated when they go into a place of business and, and want to conduct business. Um, it, it, it's not going to change. And, and I guess my last comment would be that that um, listening to the governor, it almost felt like his words were 
it was, uh, he was choking on them. It was hard for him to get them out, and that maybe a group of people sat down and handed him that speech and said, this is what you are going to say. Um, I, I guess that's, that's all I had to say. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Brian. If, if, if I might, this is Ed Delaney, yes. State Representative. I, I'm not terribly interested in Governor Pence's presidential ambitions. I don't know if he has any. Um, I'm very interested in this state, and he has done enormous damage to us uh, by the way he handled this bill, by the way his party rejected amendments that would have made things more balanced. Then he gets on TV and says it's not part of his agenda to prevent discrimination, uh, refuses to answer as to what the law will do. He has damaged us enormously. I want that fixed. And the only way to fix that is to put in strong language protecting people of different sexual orientations. Uh, but I don't think he's up to that. And by the way, when we hear all this talk about passing a bill this week, I'm sorry. Uh, I find that very difficult. This is a really tough discussion. There is no bill pending on this. Uh, experience with, is that if we rush a bill through, we get something that we really shouldn't do. So uh, I'm not part of an effort on the part of the governor to just to put some kind of a fig leaf on this by Friday. By the way, we're out of here on Thursday until next Tuesday. So, and we don't have this bill yet. He didn't have the language this morning, although he was talking about his amendment. So when we're talking about the the image bruise, I think mm -hmm. is is how the governor referred to it. Then I mean, you you mentioned that you know adding something to it about LGBTQ is potentially the solution, but it, could this have been handled at the at the governor's level? Was it necessary to send this back to the legislature? No. The law in the state is inadequate, and he acted to take advantage of its inadequacy by passing the bill. And he's been caught out. So we need an adequate law uh, so that when the courts look at these issues, uh, as the gentleman from the Family Research Council says, apparently there's some religious issues about what he calls sexuality. When our courts look at religious issues up against sexuality questions, they need to know that we think that uh, non-discrimination is a compelling state interest so that there can be an honest balance, not just a one-sided discussion. So. I'm afraid the cat is out of the bag. It was mostly out of the bag when we passed the bill, but the governor's inept performance on Sunday created a worldwide image that this state is not welcoming and that its governor doesn't like to answer questions about our lack of wel welcomingness. So it's a big problem. Well, I'll just add one thing also, which is the governor obviously could have vetoed the bill and sent it back for clarification and other um, amendments to address these concerns. That's often what happens when, you know, somebody supports it but feels that a bill has problems as you veto it. An interesting discussion about around all of this um, has been the amount of attention that the bill has gotten and when it got it. I know um, as it was moving through committee in the different, you know, houses, the, the House and Senate, um, there wasn't this national attention. It came after the law was signed. And so, you know, Representative Delaney, I know you talked a little bit about what can be done now, but um, you know, was there a better, I, I mean, I guess it's almost a PR issue as well of when the attention came. So, you know, is this something we just have to wait till the next session to really dig into the logistics of changing it in the way that, you know, might include other populations? Oh, I, I don't think we can wait till next session. I think uh, if we do something inadequate, as it appears the governor wants us to do, we'll suffer. Uh, for months and months. Uh, so we need to do something adequate. As far as the PR, there were lobbyists against the bill, and including quite establishment lobbyists, like from the Indianapolis Chamber. But I don't think they saw it as serious a threat as they should have. I think the bill was incredibly complex. Uh, only on the last day did I get uh, some people to circulate a copy of the federal statute with our words put then in yellow, our additional words, so the legislators could actually see that it's not the same same law. Uh, and then the governor felt compelled to sign it in 48 hours in, in, quote, private, end quote. So he knew that it had problems, and he chose to rush it forward. That was his decision. Let's go to the phones. Anne from Marion, you have a question. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I'm just going to take this into sort of an extreme situation because I don't, I'm for um, freedom of religion, very much so, 
but I think there's a difference between uh, what people believe versus what they practice. And what we're talking about now is a practice. Um, and so then does this mean that we are then open to uh, the practicing of Sharia law, multiple spouses, child brides, arranged marriages, female uh, genital mutilation? Um, and if we're talking about uh, no, we're just allowing um, Christians to practice their laws. Um, it's my understanding that uh, in Christianity we have the teachings, love thy neighbor. Um, and this apparently does not, um, we're not talking about the practicing of loving thy neighbor at this point. Anyway, I'd like some feedback on that. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Well, I think that, you know, with respect to many of those other um, possibilities, I think that uh, I would expect that even if someone were to assert a claim and an interest in, say, plural marriage um, as connected to their religious belief, that I would expect most courts would find the compelling that there are sufficiently compelling government interests um, on the rule that only two people may marry, then it wouldn't be permitted. But does this law put the freedom of religion above other freedoms. No, I, I mean, it looks to see what is the compelling interest underlying other government rules like the rule that only two people may marry and 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 balances those. Let's the go. dilemma is which interests have been defined. And in this state, one of the most important interests, the one in freedom from discrimination over sexual orientation has not been defined. Therein lies the the flaw in this bill. And the one that's been surfaced around the world. The world, it's interesting, the world understands this bill. The governor doesn't. So speaking a little bit about Indiana's image outside, we have a caller who wants to comment on that. Um, Andy from Marion. Thanks for your call. Um, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. And um, I just, I guess I want to make a comment about the responsibility that the legislature has to Indiana, regardless of whether this bill is good or not, regardless of whether it's being misinterpreted or not. People think outside the state that it is, and in terms of economics, we're going to suffer for it. I mean, you have all these announcements from Salesforce, from Angie's List, from Gen Con, possibly. And even if it's not, even if Governor Pence is correct and it's not a problem, people think it is, and it's going to hurt the state economically. And I think we have a responsibility, as legislatures do, to the economic harm that's going to come from it, regardless of how they feel about it personally. Great, thank you. I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. This is Ed Delaney. I couldn't agree more. And we got to do something that's that's solid and accepted around the world as solid. And uh, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen that proposed yet by the governor or the people who voted this law in. Right now, in terms of talking about the economic impact, have we actually heard of people who are actually leaving the state? Do you know, Representative Delaney, or have we just heard sort of, sort of threats if we don't let, fix let, this? Let, let me tell you a story from personal experience. I've spent a lot of time in Arizona, like Arizona. A few years back, they had a peculiar state law. I think it was about immigration, and there was a big national controversy. It came time to decide where to go for vacation. I said, I don't want to go back to Arizona. That wasn't reflected in any convention. That's not in any website. I just didn't go, okay? So is that happening? It may be happening. Organizations are saying they don't want to come here or they're reviewing it. I mean, we don't really need this kind of image. And uh, that's the big change. In my mind, the biggest change here is what the governor did on Sunday when he got on network news, wouldn't answer the questions, and then said it wasn't part of his agenda to protect against discrimination based on sexual orientation. He spoke for us. He hurt us. So it's time for the legislature to fix it with a serious fix. And you know, I really don't want to try to get it done in two days because I think that will be a, kind of a steamroll effort and not a seriously thought out and solid response. We're going to take another call from Chuck from Bloomington. Chuck, what's your question? Well, just a comment on the, the last uh, thought. My daughter lives in Australia, and she's been emailing us that uh, a, a veterinarian's convention that they were considering having in Indiana is being rethought. So the word gets around the world pretty fast. Uh, my question is, from the governor's presentation this morning, you have the idea that Hoosiers are all very welcoming, decent people who believe in the golden rule, 
and that he is a very staunch advocate of uh, all, all manner of civil rights. And yet on this morning's uh, MSNBC show, they were saying that when he signed the bill, there were two or three very well-known homophobes standing around behind him looking very happy. Uh, that, that's a great image. Uh, I'd, I'd really like to know whether anybody knows if that was true. Uh, it, uh, it sounds awful, but... Um, anybody know anything about that? I don't think we can speak to. Yeah, I don't think we know who was the people in that photo. But um, thank you for call. thank you for your call. Surely, we have another, and I think this is very indicative. And maybe Deborah or um, Representative Delaney can speak to this. We have a question um, online that says, "Is this law true? If this law truly will not allow to discriminate against gays or lesbians based on religious belief, what then was its purpose? Purpose? Why is it needed?" Does anyone have examples, maybe, or um, for intentions, maybe just for clarification of people kind of just tuning into this issue? Well, there are two examples. Uh, one was given and one was not. The one that was given by the main advocate, Representative Wesco, was the decision in the federal courts that in federal prison uh, you can't make a Muslim prisoner uh, uh, forego having a beard. He can have a beard as long as it's short. They kept talking about that. What, what the significance of that was for us, I don't know. The, the other decision, which never gets talked about, is the underlying original decision. The Supreme Court said that a state, I think it was Oregon, could deny unemployment benefits to somebody who flunked a drug test, uh, even though the reason he had the drugs was it was part of his religion to have the drugs. I mean, these, these examples don't get discussed much. I think this was a message bill and the message was read correctly by uh, the governor's supporters who wanted it. And unfortunately for him, it was read correctly by, it turns out, the entire world. Tra Travis, can you weigh in on a specific example that maybe that people would want, Rifra? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think as pointed <laughs> out already, the, um, you know, the, there are sincere religious objections. And I don't know why people are so um, afraid of addressing this point that, People have sincere religious objections to being forced by the government to play a part in a wedding ceremony that they believe violates their conscience against their religion. And, and as, it, as I mentioned before, it does not mean they're discriminating. It means they don't want to be drawn into something, government showing up on their doorstep and threatening them with fines, seeing these cases pop up all over, if they don't, if they don't come into line. You know, and these are going to increase in the future. This is a sincere objection, and, and it should be protected. Likewise, RIFRA, you look back over the course of RIFRA over 20 years, there's all sorts of religious claims that are protected by it. I mean, it's been used to protect Native Americans that want to grow their hair longer in the face of burdening government regulations, homeless ministries that are trying to serve the poor and being zoned out of existence. The Texas RIFRA recently protects such a ministry. It's being used to protect Jews and their religious claims, Muslims, including beard cases and various other claims. And I'll note that that... Um, uh, the recent Supreme Court case involving the same standard in another federal law in which the Supreme Court ruled unanimously for the prisoner using the same strict scrutiny standard that's in RIFRA. You know, I mean, didn't hardly get any controversy. Why is that? It's the application of the law to certain policy issues that people don't like. Well, we don't get to determine what religious claims are valid and what aren't in terms of judging our fellow citizens. That's between them and God. But what is demanded is that all are protected equally under the law when it comes to reviewing these claims. So, you know, I mean, our view is that there are many people that need protection, and they, they, they're not asking for these battles. Government showing up and trying to burn their practices in their lives, they just want to be protected. They're not trying to discriminate or meddle with anyone else's life. So, Deborah, I want to go to you here. Where does freedom of religion begin and end? And discrimination. Well, I think one important thing not to lose sight of is that we do have the First Amendment um, as a constitutional matter under federal law, and then also an Indiana provision, likewise pro protecting freedom of religious practice. So there already are constitutional protections in place, um, which have been applied. Now, some people feel that they don't go far enough. That's what the federal RIFRA was about. But there already are pretty solid, um, well-established, well-developed um, case law balancing these competing interests. And in terms of the, the caller who asked if it's not about discrimination, what else is it about? Y yes, RIFRAs have been used in some of these other things, but if that were all it was about and if it was really not a license to discriminate, um, you know, hopefully we could go ahead and amend it and just say it won't be able to be used in a defense to any kind of claim 
um, regarding a state law prohibiting discrimination. It's really not fair to call it a license to discriminate. And this is why there's so much misinformation out there, and people are, have, do have a bad impression of RIFRA, and why you have the Connecticut governor banning, trying to ban travel there when his own state is a RIFRA. It's not a license to discriminate. It requires a balancing test. The claim must be processed through the test, and we all have discussed this already. We know this. It's not fair to be labeling it like that, and it gives people the impression that it allows people to act as they wish in the name of religion. That's not true. People using religion to escape application of general laws, using religion as a pretext, their claims will be tossed. RIFRA has been applied this way for a long time. And I think, you know, people are going to disagree on which claims, to, which interests demand more merit in the application of RIFRA in various contexts, including the context of sexual orientation. But we've got to be honest with what the law actually does. And, and it shouldn't be labeled this way because it's applying in this context when we've never labeled a law like this otherwise when it applies in other contexts. And... You know, this is really unfortunate because you have all the public worked up about something when it's really quite similar, not identical, as you mentioned, but quite similar to something that's been on the books for a long time. The governor earlier today was reiterating that he said this was not a license to discriminate and then tasking the legislature to make clear this week that this does not give businesses the license to deny services to anyone. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. Representative Delaney, are you still on the phone? Yeah, and I, I'm about to go to go get down to the fight at the state house, but let me just end on a quasi-religious note. You know, I know a little something about religion. There seems to be some confusion here. No one is asking or compelling anyone to condone conduct or bless anyone. So if you're asked to sell flowers for a same-sex wedding, that's not a blessing. You're not a minister. You're not being asked to condone. If you want, if you're being asked to rent an apartment unit to a same-sex couple, that's a commercial transaction. What a lot of people are afraid of, and I think understandably, is if the test is, if somebody can say, oh, you're making me condone or bless or participate, where is the limit to this theory? It comes from the head of the objector saying, to me, that's blessing, and I don't want to do it. This, the cases about beards and stuff are simpler. Where's the downside? Who's the individual who's hurt by my having a beard if I'm a Muslim prisoner? But somebody is hurt if you say because of my faith or because of my corporation's faith, I won't provide a service that I would provide to any other American. There's the issue. The public senses that. That's the source of the nervousness. And the modern businesses, you know, you hear who's complaining. It's Apple and... Uh, and Angie's listing these things, they're saying we can't hire people if they're afraid they're not welcome in the community. That's a big problem. So I've, I've said enough. i got to go down and get into the wars. And uh, thank you for letting me participate. Thanks thank, for joining us. Thank you, Representative Delaney. And thank you to all of our panelists. Unfortunately, this hour certainly flew by. So much to discuss as we try to sort through what the Religious Freedom Ref Reformation Act means, and as we've been saying, the governor has called on the legislature to get something on his desk by the end of the week that will clarify the bill, make clear that he does not support discrimination, and in his words, that Indiana is, is open for business. It's certainly a topic we're going to continue to cover and follow throughout the week, and I'm sure the coming weeks. So this has been a special edition of Noon Edition here on WFIU. I want to say thank you again to all of our guests and to co-hosts. Claire McInerney for producers Alex McCall and Matt Bloom and engineer Mike Pashkash. Thank you for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu.